Hey there, welcome to Louisiana Farm Life. It's a podcast where we talk with real farmers and others who work in and around agriculture in Louisiana and beyond about who they are, what they grow, the struggles they face on and around the farm. I'm your host, Carl Wiggers, and I grew up living my own farm life in Northwest Northwest Louisiana. I said that. More like Northeast Louisiana. I grew up in Winsboro. Sorry for the delay since our last episode. We've been busy wrapping up the year producing our TV program this week in Louisiana agriculture, but I think this episode uh, will be worth the wait. On this episode, I chat with a woman who is not from Louisiana, but she spent a lot of time here in the state over the last couple of decades. Janice Person is a professional communicator who's traveled the country and probably even the world promoting U.S. cotton. She's worked in a few positions, but that's a lot of what she does. Uh, We'll cover more of that ground in the interview. Janice just started her own podcast, so I was very anxious to talk to her and excited to talk to her about what that's going to look like. We'll talk more about that in the interview as well. I met up with her a few weeks ago when she was in the state getting interviews for her podcast called Grounded by the Farm. It's out now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and probably anywhere else that you might listen to podcasts. I'll post links of those to the show notes so you can go give them a listen. With that said, let's get into the interview with Janice Person on Louisiana Farm Life. I'm joined now by Janice Person. Janice, tell me a little bit about who you are, what you do. Yeah, it's funny. Um, A lot of people don't know me by my given name, like my (laughs) God-given name and my parents. My name is JP Loves Cotton to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I'm a communicator Mm -hmm. and have been doing PR and stuff well before social media was there. But so I hopped on social media pretty quickly and established a brand for myself. Early adopter. (laughs) So... In that communication, in that communicator role, and your JP Loves Cotton brand that you've kind of built over decades now, I guess, right? I've been, yeah, it's been, I've been on Twitter for 10 years. So I started out JP Loves Cotton when I signed up on Twitter. Before that, I had worked for some magazines in Memphis, Cotton Mm -hmm. Farming Magazine and some things. Worked for a PR agency for a while in New York. Big city. Big city. And then I moved to the Mississippi Delta and worked for Delta Pine okay. for a while. You've made so, that. Is that kind of your home? Where are you from? I, I'm from Memphis originally. Okay. Memphis is home. That's where my mama lives. So, you know, that's that's where kind of the way is, it works. Where home is. It exactly. So when people ask me my hometown, I say Memphis because you don't want to mess with mama. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I live in St. Louis because okay. I was working for a while for Monsanto. when okay. They purchased Delta Pine when I was with the business. So I moved to St. Louis after a while. And... Only recently decided to go out on my own and do something different. So what were you doing for Monsanto before we get to where you're now on your own? So I've done a range of PR things with Delta Pine and Monsanto, ranging from things like here's a new cotton variety that is available for farmers this year to some cotton management materials and things. I'm here in Louisiana because one of the first pieces I ever wrote was about a cotton consultant and farmer named Mr. Ray Young. Mm And so I was down here to talk to him for a bit. But really, a lot of it was focused in on agriculture until about five years ago. And at that time, Monsanto kind of looked around and realized where agriculture was and where society was. We looked at the same things and we had really different perceptions. Mm. And I had been involved in this social media space for five years already and had started a blog 
and had been trying to change people's opinions about things and at least present them good information if they ignored it. It wasn't my fault. Mm -hmm. But when the company decided to invest in that area, I was able to be the first person on that team and helped start what became our consumer outreach group. It became our employment engagement, so trying to get employees to understand why it's important for people in ag to really get involved in this conversation with people. Maybe you're at a dinner party or something, and people say something that you know isn't accurate. How can you have that conversation and still be friends? Mm -hmm. And so that was a lot of what I was doing at Monsanto. The last few years was focused on foodies, so I spent a lot of time in New York again, a lot of time in San Francisco, Austin, Texas, those kind of places. Yep. We're high population centers where a lot of the discussion about food happens, but farmers aren't necessarily represented. And so a lot of my job was trying to get us a seat at that table and then make extra seats for other farmers and things to Mm. come along with this. And so it was really advantageous. I spent time speaking at things like South by Southwest in Austin, um, the San Francisco Professional Food Society, Things like that that I wouldn't have thought I'd be able to get into. The first time you went and you were an employee of Monsanto, it was a little intimidating mm-hmm. and people had perceptions about you. Probably had some crosshairs on you. Occasionally it got kind of tense, mm-hmm. but we were able to kind of help people understand we were there because we wanted to learn from them and we thought we might have something to offer them and did it humbly. Mm-hmm. And over time, we were able to create a lot of spaces for ourselves. I'm sure over, you know, at those different, I mean, big venues, big, um, big conversations, very possibly hostile, you know, settings. Well, you probably had a range of uh, messages that you were putting out. What was the general? I mean, is there is there a general message out there that you were kind of sharing in those those talks? Most of the time it was like, I care and I want to hear from you. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's trying to hear other people's story enough and ask them smart questions and stuff that eventually they'd ask you about yours. Mm -hmm. And part of that is to say at some point after you've talked to them for a while going, well, I might see things a little bit differently. Do you mind? Mm -hmm. And part of that was just to be really open, honest, transparent. So if they went and searched on the Internet with the critical thinking kinds of questions, they could actually find I wasn't the only person that thought this. Mm -hmm. It's just Earlier, the only phrases they knew were phrases that might have seemed damning to us and sort of what some people call big ag. Mm -hmm. And so it's part of helping people understand those algorithms on Google and those food documentaries and stuff don't really represent what I see happening. I'd love to tell you something else. Mm -hmm. And then they start giving agriculture the benefit of the doubt. They start giving us the benefit of the doubt. And then we can start finding what do we both really agree on and let's make progress there. Because like I mentioned, Mr. Ray, he taught me about soils in 1990. And so it's something that agriculture has cared about for a very long time. Mm -hmm. But not everybody knows that. And sometimes people, when they learn something's important, they think nobody else knows that yet. And I think that's happened to all of us. You know, you go to college and you suddenly take a class on something. You think you know way more than anybody else. You could be taking class in anatomy and your parents could be like surgeons. 
they probably know more than you, but you suddenly are learning so much you think Mm -hmm. you have all there is to know. And I think that's part of how this whole conversation and this gap between consumers really came into forming. And it was nice to have a company willing to put money down on it and say, let's help make this better. And so I would spend time going out in that food kind of area. And then I would come back to agriculture and tell them what I was finding out and what I was learning. And I think I first met you when I was at an event with uh, the Louisiana Farm Bureau women. You did, yeah. And that was me trying to tell them, well, here's what I'm finding out. Here's and, how to maybe shape the way that you're maybe telling your story. Should, yeah, maybe right? we should give people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they've only heard one side of mm-hmm. the story, and maybe you shouldn't get mad just because they repeat something they've heard. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been a really exciting five years, but uh, it's time for a change. One of the reasons I, I'm asking you that, because that's exactly what we do with our TV show This Week in Louisiana, or we try to do with oh, yeah. This Week in Louisiana Agriculture, is trying to... Talk to the foodie or talk to the city girl, the city, you know, the banker in town yep. and and try to find that common ground because there is common ground. There's lots of common ground and they're members of our community, mm-hmm. right? Like sometimes it seems like they're far away because mm-hmm. we live in a remote rural area. But I personally have been a city girl most of my life. Mm-hmm. I've lived out in what I call the middle of nowhere for 10 years when I lived in Mississippi. But for most Americans, we have a very urban experience and we've just never lived out in a rural area and so i can see why it feels like we're really far away but most of us really care about our children we really care about their health we want a good place for our kids to play that kind of stuff and those are the things that all of us share Mm -hmm. it's just when you start thinking about them you may not start at the same point so let's find out what the common ground is you really care about your children. Oh, me too. Oh, wow. Here are things I do with my kids. Mm-hmm. Do you do those? And then you get eventually to, oh, so this is something we have a real difference on. Let's talk about mm-hmm. how we created those differences in perception. To start with a relationship and then let's yeah. get to the rest of it. Yeah, it makes such a difference. And and if you can do it authentically, like if you just like people like I do, mm-hmm. it makes it so much easier and you don't have to worry. It's not like some big marketing job. It's getting to know people Mm -hmm. and talking to them and finding out what makes them tick and what you really enjoy that they enjoy too. Yeah. It's something you talk about being a city, like city girl. I love being a city girl. I honestly, so I'm from Franklin Parish and anybody that listens to this podcast probably heard me say that a million Mm -hmm. times, but I'm from the country and living now in the middle of Baton Rouge, marrying a city girl I'm starting to see the, see the other side and be like, Oh man, it's kind of nice having a grocery store two minutes away, you know, know, all um, the conveniences of the city. I was going to say, I lived in the Mississippi Delta, and I had to go 30 minutes to go to a grocery store. I could go to a gas station that might have a loaf of bread if that's what I wanted. But if you wanted something like meat or fresh vegetables or something, you had to go 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it about killed me because I grew up in a neighborhood where I could have gotten on my bike and gone to a grocery store, if I went in any direction, I would have been there in five minutes on a bike. Mm -hmm. And so my family doesn't see the same kind of food messages. You know, for me, I'm driving down here from Arkansas yesterday, and I'm seeing rice fields, and I'm seeing soybean fields, and I'm seeing corn fields, and I'm seeing cattle on pasture. In my neighborhood, I see food marketing. I see restaurants. I see grocery stores. Mm. I see 
you know, the signs at the bus stop that are telling me where to get different foods. I don't see food in its natural state Mm. of being on a farm. And I have to think that those things all shape how we see food. I think so. When you don't see seed and you don't see dirt other than when you're planting new mums for fall, it makes a big difference. Yeah. One of the things I was going to say is that I struggle with, you know, finding that common ground sometimes being the the country boy that mm-hmm. grew up on a turn row and now talking to people that don't know what a turn row is, it's like, oh, wait, that's not common to you? You don't you don't get that? That's not some common ground we have? Because here, that's common ground. Tailgate where talk I grew is up. another thing that it's very different. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one of the things that I've, I remember you talking about that in, yeah. our, in that whenever I met you two years ago. Well, I tell people, for me, the first time I came to Wisner, I was really scared. I didn't have cell phones at the time. And if you do now, sometimes you get to places <laughs> and the cell work. phone doesn't work. But, you know, I didn't know what do you do if your car breaks down or something. And I do know what I do in the city of Memphis or in the city of St. Louis or in the, you know, even when I lived in New York, other than being in the Bronx, which I always scared my mom when I was in the Bronx or something. But I knew how those systems worked. And it took me a little while to figure out how rural America works and you know, people have their own pace of life and stuff, and it seems really slow if you're a city person and you're used to driving at a certain speed, and then you're on a <laughs> small town road, and people are they're taking in the crops. They're doing like a crop tour. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going, hey, wait a minute. Do you see that they planted this in soybeans this year? Or they're stopped in the middle of a two-lane road talking to the, the neighbor. Right across the road, right? They're like right side by side. Mm. So, so it is really different. And I think, um, I think the idea is that we all want to love where we live. We want to make the place where we live better all the time. Those things are, I mean, vocabulary can be hard. Mm-hmm. I was about <laughs> to ask thing, you about some of that things stuff. Things like turn rows can be hard. I mean, I even have to, you know, people say the extension service and. In my neighborhood, that means you're getting hair put on. <laughs> Extension service means you're getting a new hairstyle mm-hmm. and you will have not your natural hair in place. And, you know, for us in agriculture, the extension service is a part of our inner mm-hmm. being. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't imagine the world without it. But, you know, like so many people in the city don't realize there are master gardening classes through the extension service. And so, if those of us who do understand some of the benefits of that could also say, well, you know, I think they also have some of those services where they can teach this and that in your area. Or did you know, well, the reason it's important that we have that kind of research is that one rice farmer can't do all the research that might be needed. Mm-hmm. You know, you have how many sugarcane farmers? Who's going to do the work to find the next great way to do something that helps our environment? That's mm-hmm. why we need the extension service. Yeah. But otherwise, they may not know the words. You have to slow down sometimes mm-hmm. and explain it. Quick tangent real quick. You talked about going at a slower pace in, yeah. in more rural areas. My dad, when he comes to Baton Rouge, he has to make he, he always makes me drive because it stresses him out being yeah. in the city. And whenever I come to Winsboro now, it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, everybody's going so slow. What's up with this? I had never lived in a rural environment until I went to college, and it was in northwestern Oklahoma. 
And I can remember when I came home at Christmas, I went down to the busiest streets in Memphis and like, thank God I'm back in traffic. That's I mean, it was it just unnerved me to be in a place where you wouldn't see a car for mm-hmm. a long time on the road. I feel really comfortable having lots of cars really close to me and going fast. <laughs> it, but now I feel comfortable in both. It just yeah. took a while. Yeah. In town just a minute ago, I was coming through Winsboro, coming back towards, I mean, Wisner now. Yeah. And headed back to Baton Rouge, but in Winsboro, just a minute ago, the light turned green and every car just kind of lets off the brakes and starts easing on. And in Baton Rouge, no, you better. There's tires spin- there are tires spinning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you see, the, next you see the rubber left on the road. Yeah. Yep. So anyways, back, back to our conversation okay. though, we're talking about, you know, kind of ch- shaping the message a little bit. Right. How have, I guess, so you're now your shape your career is is being shaped a little bit differently yeah, now so what's yeah. kind of happening now for well, your you know, life it's, it's really interesting because my career was at a point where i started blogging and doing social media on the side and then after i was doing that a lot it moved into being part of my day job and now i'm at a point where i wanted to do some things that i could see being really beneficial and it wasn't necessarily exactly what the company saw a lot of value in. I get it. Um, and so I ended up deciding to go out on my own as a consultant. Um, I have had the opportunity to work with so many different groups, including Farm Bureau and things like that. And I already mentioned speaking for some of those groups. But I've had opportunities to talk to so many people. And, and I'm offering those skills as sort of consulting. And then because I just don't know how to say no. So I, I, I've always had a blog that talks about cotton. I said my name is JP Loves Cotton. One of the blogs is now called 100% Cotton. And I'll talk about how it's grown, how to buy sheets, how to do your laundry, how to pick up the perfect t-shirt. And I love showing like, here's what the plant looks like in June mm. or in July and stuff like that. But now what I want to do is something a little bit different, goes beyond cotton. And I really want to help people see some of the excitement I get from going out on the farm and mm. talking to people about things that I don't know a lot about. And so whether that is here in Louisiana, I'm going to talk to a crawfish farmer mm. and hopefully I'm going to get grounded by the farm is the name of the podcast and stuff I'm starting. It really is that that opportunity to go out and learn for myself, but share that experience with a lot of other people. And I have to believe that other people will find it exciting. My Even my nieces and nephews occasionally ask me about different things mm. and they're like, well, what do you mean by that? Um, and I'm like, well, it was because I was visiting with this avocado farmer in California. And, you know, millennials in the city, we love our avocado toast. I'm guilty. And so the kinds of things that I can tell you about avocados, because I've been on those farms and go, well, you know, the farm I was on, they had five different varieties of avocados that were available commercially. But this year they had a sixth variety. It was the first year they had any to harvest. It looked a lot like an eggplant. It was a deep purple when they picked it off the tree. It was never green. And they were like, what do you mean? Oh, my gosh, that sounds, how did it taste? You know, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. It is different. And I think sharing those kind of stories with people who love food. So I'm a food lover. Other people love food. You're in the so. right state for that, by the way. 
Lord have mercy. I know. Every time I go to New Orleans, it's, uh, yeah, I come down here. The kinds of things I can get in trouble with, with some of the roos that are cooked down here and stuff, it's bad. Um, food, food, the, the, everybody says the weight of a man's heart is through his stomach. And I yeah. think that's true for everybody. Yeah. In I the don't world. think it's just for men. Yeah. It's not for at all. My wife has nailed it, but <laughs> it's for everybody. So I think you're on, on something right. I love the I concept so. of your podcast. But before we go further into food, cause I want to talk about that. Yeah. What, what is it about cotton other than, <laughs> why cotton you you love cotton so much that i made it my brand name yes, what, it is so weird how did you get it? so hooked into cotton i would i would partially attribute that to people like mr ray showing me around so part of it is i didn't know agriculture at all and i started working for the magazine cotton farming and okay. other publications there right so they had rice farming cotton farming um a custom applicator we're all in the same building and i was southern so I enjoyed all those Southern books, but then I got a job in New York and I was living in New York, working with agriculture at a PR agency. I was the only one that sounded Southern because I was the only one that was Southern. And I already knew a lot of people in cotton and they were always so amazingly good to me. And still to this day, I mean, if I called somebody between here and where I'm going next, and I had a flat, and I'd say, do you know anybody around here? Somebody from the cotton industry would probably show up and help me out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have had days where I just had a flat tire, and I didn't know what I was going to do, and you call one person, and somebody shows up, and you know, it may be somebody that works for their gin or whatever, but the cotton folks have always just been so amazing to me, and I think each of our crops sort of needs champions in today's world. I think... You know, if you look out there, people love some of these different kind of, you know, synthetic based fabrics, which have a good fit for some things. But, you know, cotton has a very different environmental profile for a lot of reasons. Like, you know, it can be used as insulation in your home after you've worn your blue jeans to death. Turn it into insulation. There's a program for that. You can use it to fry up those beignets and serve them to me at Cafe du Monde, you know. Mm -hmm. All those kind of things. And it builds Southern communities. It does have a lot of employment and stuff in communities. I will say there are parts of the cotton business in the past that aren't you know, part of our history that is not anything I've personally experienced. There are some things like that that are sometimes tough to discuss with people. But if you're willing to say, well, you know, that's not the way I know cotton farming. Mm -hmm. I even know black cotton farmers, right? So it makes a difference to be able to have those tough conversations too, mm -hmm. instead of leaving it to somebody who's not ever even been on a cotton farm and let them become the expert. Mm. I don't want to have that. So I just started doing more and more. People would ask me more questions. So I'll do more and more. The last question I got from somebody was she'd gotten some cotton seed and she'd planted it. She wanted to make <laughs> decorations for her home, but the bowls were too big for the kind of things she wanted to do. So she wanted to know if I could get her seed that would have small bowls on it. And I'm like, that's not exactly how cotton seed. Usually farmers want some of the bigger bowls. Now, they might be tight so they don't open up so much, but, you know, farmers like them to be bigger. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But it was, she didn't know. She was trying to make it with a different kind of flower in the background and the cotton was overpowering it. But those are questions that they're going to ask somebody. 
And it may as well be me answering. That's cool that you kind of have stepped into that spot. And I'm it seems cons- like yeah. you, you know what you're talking about. You've been in the business enough. Yeah, I, I sadly. Happen to, I, I happen to love cotton myself. And whenever I, whenever I, I think I, we might have talked about this a couple of years ago or maybe even this yeah. morning, but dad, that's all he grew growing up yeah. is cotton. And yeah. I just have this uh, nostalgic kind of attachment too cotton every yes. time it's you know I, and the flowers are just beautiful, they're beautiful right but it's like the crop whenever it's, it's ready to harvest is it, it you can't be can't be beat one day i was riding down the road with my wife and we saw some cotton pickers on the road i don't know i think we might have been coming up here yeah. and we pulled over i rolled the windows down i said do you smell that and she's like <laughs> no I, I i don't i said you just don't get it you're missing no, out no it's 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 you know the thing as a communicator I grew up and I loved the smell of ink because it meant whatever I had done was printed. My mm. father was a printing pressman, right? So that smell of ink is something that really stands out for me. I'd say the same thing about cotton. You know, it does make a big difference. And I'm lucky. So many people took so much time to help me understand it. I've been through gosh knows how many textile mills and mm. had an opportunity to learn about weaving and spinning and choosing new colors and things like that. And I love, quite frankly, I wouldn't wear anything other than jeans and hoodies in the winter and fall if I didn't have to. Like For anybody listening, that's what she's got on right now. Well, it's a zip front hoodie. It's, it's, front it's, hoodie. it's almost like a formal wear kind of hoodie. <laughs> well, I want one of the JP Loves Cotton hoodies. Do you have any more? <laughs> I've got them on the website. <laughs> on the website? I have to <laughs> they check are. I've got a few funny ones, too. Oh, uh, that's cool. You know, like things about you never forget your first stripper. And, you know, for people in Texas, that's a cotton picker, but, you know. <laughs> for people cotton. out in Texas, that's a cotton picker. They yeah. might not know what that is. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. You're now moving into this podcast. You're moving into the foodie world, kind of, yeah. which you've been moving towards for the last few years. Yeah. What is it about this podcast that you're most excited about kind of launching into? You know, for me, um, I have gotten these opportunities for years. I. Because I've met so many people online and stuff, and I will go to whatever state it is, and some farmer will say, you want to come out to the farm and check it out? I will go see olive oil being made when I go to an olive farm or something, right? How many people get that opportunity? Not very many. Mm -hmm. And so I would always come back and write them up for the blog. Sometimes I'd get video, but, you know, it's hard to get everything done when you're a one person. Mm -hmm. So this way of doing it as a podcast, people will still hear my excitement, but it'll be hearing how the farmer wants to talk about things. Mm. And what's really cool is, like, I did one interview with a lettuce farmer in Arizona, and most of us don't think about lettuce farmers that much. You know, every salad we make, some farmer grew that Mm -hmm. lettuce for us. And him just talking about iceberg and romaine and romaine hearts, how he grows all three. And I'm like, wait a minute. Is romaine and romaine hearts different? That's not just the same thing with the outside stripped off. And he's like, well, we can use the same seed, but we plant them really close together. So they're very tall, cylindrical on the romaine hearts. And I'm like, get out. I had no idea. So I'm learning a lot as I do these conversations. And a lot of people love food. Mm -hmm. I mean. If you talk to, out of my nieces and nephews alone, the number of them who are passionate enough about food to take cooking classes, to go to culinary school, to think that this is what they want to dedicate their life to, it's a high percentage of people. Mm -hmm. And so 
but they're not getting those farm experiences. They're getting the restaurant experiences and things. And this podcast and the website will go with it. Hopefully can give them some of those experiences. And maybe they follow some of these people on social media. Maybe they buy product from some of them. Some of the farmers I'm talking to actually sell things online. There is a pecan farmer I've interviewed Mm. that's coming. But the lettuce farmer also grows and sells through a system that becomes part of Panera Bread. So anywhere in the country. So I'm like, wait a minute. So you feel good buying a salad anywhere in the country. Yeah. He's like, it could be my salad you're eating in St. Louis wow. or in New Orleans. We went, my, I'm in the ag leadership class to LSU, and we went this past uh, summer to San Diego and Los Angeles and up in the Santa Barbara. It was an awesome trip. Yeah. In San Diego, we went to a five-acre greenhouse. Oh, nice. That's growing all hydropon- hydroponic yeah. uh, lettuce, a bunch of different varieties. But the Butterhead lettuce, they're packaging and sending to um, Costco's all oh, yeah. across the country. Yeah. And I was in oh. my own Costco in Baton Rouge and you saw the label weekend, and I saw the boxes. I was like, that's, that's, and it says Santa Barbara County. It says, uh, yeah. not Santa Barbara, it says San Diego. Uh, I can't even remember the name of the place, but I was like, that's, yeah. I watched them packaging this. Yeah. It's and, and what's nice is he also tells me about the food safety things that they're doing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talk about the food side, but we talk a little bit about the food safety and the farming side and things, too. So maybe some farmers will enjoy listening to it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot of crops you don't get to see if you like most farmers, you farm in one area most of your life. Mm-hmm. You maybe move one state over if you marry into a different family or something. But. Farmers are usually pretty close by, Mm -hmm. but so far, everybody I've asked if they would be willing to do it. Most farmers have been really excited about the idea of having this conversation with people off the farm, too, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of fun. Well, it also offers kind of like that common ground. It offers some of that because you get to get that personality of that farmer who I don't grow, you know, hundreds of acres of lettuce or tens of acres of lettuce. I don't know how big a a lettuce farm would be, but they may have the same connection to their family that you'll learn about and you're like oh well i really care about my mother-in-law too oh, yeah. or, well I, he tells you a, what salads his kids like he has yeah. five kids and you know this one likes that and uh, you know it's and here's what i'm trying to do i'm trying to get my kids to eat more vegetables mm-hmm. and anybody with kids can probably identify with you know what what else can i do to get my kids to eat my more? wife would probably listen and try to get me to eat more vegetables <laughs> I actually like vegetables. In fact, uh, I'm I'm trying to grow my own. So we'll we'll yeah. talk about that later. But um, when what's kind of the the timeline on this podcast that you got coming out? Yeah. So um, my gosh, I have so much work to do. I I keep talking about. It. I've done this interview. I'm doing that interview. I still have a website to build and um, get everything uploaded and stuff. It should be December 11th. That's the goal. Is the goal. Okay. So I don't know when this is going to air, but um, hopefully December 11th, you can go to groundedbythefarm.com and you'll find the podcast there. Okay. And part of the reason I say go to that website, I mean, you'll be able to find it in Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and all the other tools. But I want to have people going back and forth to the website some because we're going to put up video and and photos and stuff. And I love podcasts. Um, and and I listen to so many when I'm driving. But I also think that some people might like to see some of the people mm. that are growing their food, some of the places they're doing it in and stuff like that. So we're going to have photos and video. You can't put that in show notes, I figured mm-hmm. out. So 
the website's going to be kind of important for that kind of stuff. But hopefully we can get people go back and forth. And I'm going to do a podcast every two weeks. I may be able to put more up on the blog than I can do in terms of editing mm-hmm. and audio. Yeah, cool. I, I love the the medium as well. We talk about it all the time on, on our end at Farm yeah. Bureau, how I'm the, I'm the podcast nerd. Um, but I, I love, I think it's an awesome platform. And I think one of the things, and I don't know how this, I don't know where this is going as far as my, my line of thought, but one of the things farmers will eat up podcasts about themselves, they're, about especially harvest time and, and planter planting time and so stuff. Long. And, um, you know, you spend so much time in a vehicle and you can listen to radio. I love radio too. And mm-hmm. I love getting the weather and stuff like that, especially, but, it's amazing how deep you can go in a conversation mm-hmm. that you can't just do that on anything. So and podcasts let you get that depth. Kind of guilty, but I don't know where the rest of the world is. I know farmers will eat up all the cons- all the content that we'll give them. Mm-hmm. What what do, are people hungry for that con- that conversation? Do you, do you feel like? Yeah. So it's it's interesting in podcast. Um, I actually was talking to my sister. So my sister commutes by train every day in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And she goes, well, I like a podcast that is either short enough that I listen to it one way on the train or I listen to the one episode going in and out. And so 30, 45 minutes for most people in the U.S. is their commute. And most people want something they can listen to with their family in the car. Right. Mm-hmm. Like. Maybe I drop my kids at school on the way or whatever. And, you know, you're talking about food and farming. You don't have to worry about language that you wouldn't want necessarily in front of your kids very mm-hmm. much and stuff like that. So I think there's a big opportunity there for us. We just have to find the things that they're also interested in, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes we talk at a depth of technical information, which is really helpful to us in agriculture to understand and relay that to each other. But we probably shouldn't expect people that don't know the key words in the sentences to find that as interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, finding the right combinations of information and what we have going on that really is going to drive that attention. But I think a lot of people in the city love it. They put them on their headphones when they're walking around or when they're on the train and they listen to what moves them, mm-hmm. what they're interested in. I think these stories will do that. Um, one of the other things I was going to mention is that you're probably, I'm assuming you're still on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Are you still on all those places? Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm creating all that stuff for Grounded by the Farm, too. So there'll be an opportunity for dialogue. There will be. So there will be. mom and drops her kids off and says, I still don't know what a turn row is. What's a turn row? Right. And that conversation right. can and continue. The, and it's funny because on my cotton site, one of my most visited things is, the, is kind of a dictionary of cotton words because we talk about cutout in the cotton business like people know what that is. Mm-hmm. And what that means is the plant has going to stop producing height and everything, and it's going to focus on the fruit on it. Well, like not everybody knows what cutout is. Mm-hmm. So it's like you need to put some of the terms out there. So um, you're reminding me there's another thing I need to get built for the website Sorry. is a nice dictionary. Hey, well, I, I want to help you in any way I can. So just let yeah. me know if I can be a resource <laughs> to you. Uh, I'm sure I really the favor will be returned. But <laughs> thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to plug, you want to uh, promote? While we're here talking, honey, you have done me well on that. I mean, I got to plug um, 
what what I'm doing big in the in the next world. And what's exciting for me is how all these things in my business come together. The podcast is something I'm focused in on a lot right now. But as I do speaking work, I get to take all these stories with me. I get to talk to other groups and things like that. And agriculture can learn from it and the folks in the city can too. I, I think it leads me to a great place for the business. Mm-hmm. I, I'm excited. And I, again, it's you fit that that need so well. You, you can share your story really well. You share other stories really well. Thank you. And you're in a perfect place with your city background, but also the you just have all the different pieces that makes up a, a really interesting storyteller. And I, I, well, I, I really appreciate, appreciate that. I appreciate it. I've looked, I've loved working with Twyla folks for a long time. I've known folks at Louisiana Farm Bureau for decades. <laughs> um, I'm really since you were young five, right? since I, since I was two, oh, two, um, two. but uh, yeah, I think um, I've been listening to some of you alls stuff and y'all, y'all have my attention. I appreciate that. Well, Hopefully we can get better together. Yep. Your story, your podcast will come so. out. I can't wait to hear it. And it should be out. When you're listening to this, you should be out anytime now. And uh, we look forward to, you know, catching back up after you get a few of them under your belt and seeing where you're at. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks again, Janice, for joining me on this episode. Again, please go check out her podcast, Grounded by the Farm. Her first couple of guests are Louisiana folks you might recognize. One is Bill Cheek from central Louisiana in the Alexandria area. She also has a bonus interview that starts the whole thing off, and that's with Mr. Ray Young from his home in Wisner. It's a great interview about how she got into this industry and kind of got her start with Mr. Ray. Go check that out. Again, I'll put links to the show in our show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening right now, and subscribe so you can stay up to date when we release a new episode. This is our last episode of 2019, but in 2020, we have got big plans, so be sure to subscribe and stay up to date. When you leave us feedback and reviews, Apple Podcasts and the other platforms respond. They respond by putting this podcast in front of more people, and that allows us to share stories about Louisiana men and women in agriculture with more people, and that's what we want to do. You can also help us out by simply sharing this podcast with a friend. Send it in a text or maybe pull out their phone and show them how to listen. We appreciate your help sharing these stories. This podcast was produced by me, Carl Wiggers, with the help of everyone in the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation communications team. Louisiana Farm Bureau is the voice of Louisiana agriculture. Agriculture.